calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Sure is. All righty. All right. Well, a reminder for everyone, even though we record both episodes in one night, we are recording remotely tonight because I, Madigan, am having some really shitty side effects from the COVID booster. Everybody still get boosted. It's very important. Um... I'm just in pain and in hell. So I'm coming at you from my bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely still go get boosted. It's still better than getting COVID or passing it along to anyone. However, I do know like this booster is kicking a lot of people's ass. Like I was genuinely afraid to go get it because I was really scared that I was going to get sick. Anthony got really sick. A lot of my friends got really sick. It does generally only last like a couple of days, but I'm hoping you feel better soon for sure. I mean, I'm banking on being fine tomorrow. I might still have a little bit of pain. I've got this like horrible, like pain in my lymph node in my armpit some swelling and things like that like that's probably gonna take some time to go away but I don't know it's fucking weird and I've lived in my bed for the last two days so sometimes you need that it's also been like weirdly cold in LA like it's been cold it's been kind of gloomy and rainy it was kind of sunny today but I went out and it was misty I was like what is happening it almost felt like snow it was very weird I was out at like five something and it felt like I was almost being like flurried on it was it was so bizarre, but I was telling Keegan before we started recording that I've been binge listening to this podcast today called Believe Her, so I've been pretty much living in the world of learning about campus sexual assault and also learning about the story of a woman who killed her husband in self-defense after being abused for years, so lots of content about you know, domestic violence and assault. Yeah, you're in a really good spot mentally. Mentally great spot, but I also feel very prepared for this episode. I feel like I've been like living in this realm. I physically could not even like hold my phone up yesterday. I took notes for like an hour and I'm like, my fingers hurt. I have to stop. But I feel like I've been kind of in this like mindset of that 
lately that one sucks, but two makes me feel very well informed at the same time. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the most important thing, especially when there are things that we feel are unjust or things that scare us. The best thing that we can possibly do is become more informed, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to give a big trigger warning at the top of this episode. I mean, this entire episode, you should know by the title is all about um, campus sexual assault, sexual violence. So if that is something that triggers you, Um, or that you're just not in a headspace maybe to be absorbing that kind of information. I know the holidays are a stressful time and maybe this is not the content that you need, you know, just kind of floating through your mind right now. And if that's the case, I would definitely just go ahead and skip this entire episode because we will be talking about almost exclusively some really heavy stuff definitely uh, in regards to that so and just- right off the bat i will uh give this number and uh website out again at the end of the episode but if you need any help you can go to rain.org spelled r-a-i-n-n.org or contact the rain hotline at 800 hope or 800-4673 if you need to contact anybody for any help or resources or support they're an amazing resource Okay, so let's jump on in uh, to college sexual assault, sexual violence. (sighs) Um, We've talked before on this show about how women ages 18 to 24 are at an elevated risk of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. While women in that age group who are not in college, and this is likely for socioeconomic reasons, are four times more likely than all women to experience sexual violence, women who are in college are still three times more likely than the average woman to experience sexual violence. So, I mean, I think that anyone who has been to college or anyone who has known somebody who has been to college knows someone who was sexually assaulted on a college campus. Right. Um, And I think that maybe I was trying to think about like what would even be like a good conversation starter to start this out with. And I think that mentioning that age gap in general, but then especially mixing in that college atmosphere is a really important place to start because, you know, we're thinking about especially freshman and sophomore aged college female identifying people are more likely than even third and fourth year students to be assaulted on a college campus or by another student. And I think that there's so much said within that about that age group. And and I don't want to say that everyone who's between the ages of 18 and 24 is like naive or like not being smart no, not or anything all. like that. Mm-mm. Because I remember myself at 18 years old, I didn't live in a dorm or anything like that. I moved into a, you know, apartment in Los Angeles and went to a film school, but I still went to like a lot of those parties and I would end up mm-hmm. like crashing people's couches. Sure. And there were yeah. like you you know what that environment is and is, is like and I think of myself as just being so naive but also 
thinking that I was so safe all the time. Like I would end up in random people's cars and all this stuff. And I feel like there is something about that time in your life where you're away from home for the first time, where you feel kind of invincible. You feel like your own person and an adult for the first time. And you're also having like all of these new experiences that you don't want to let yourself miss out on. Like there's a lot of drinking and drugs and partying, especially when it comes to, you know, going to frat parties and things well, like and that. The that decision are all... and consequence part of your brain isn't developed yet. Right. <laughs> like... But you're also given all of these very like pseudo adult circumstances because Absolutely. I wouldn't say that like college parties is adult, but like it's you know what I mean? All of those things combined. You feel like an adult. I certainly felt like an adult. The number of times I said the words I'm an adult when I was like 19, 20, 21. Because you're trying time, to prove right? it at that point. Right. You're like, and no, you feel I'm an adult. Like you are. You yeah. feel like you are, you know, and in and the world is kind of learning how to treat you like an adult as well. And so you're trying to navigate all of that. But the truth of it is you don't have the life experience that you develop as you get older. And unfortunately, yeah. um, for a lot of us, <laughs> that life experience includes having been in very dangerous situations. So now we know how to handle those. Like well, that's forward. the catch 22. I was going to say, I feel like in that age range, you don't have the same red flags that go up necessarily because you haven't experienced enough exactly. shitty people, mm -hmm. which sucks. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, wait till you meet more crappy people in life that are going to treat you really bad. Then you'll like notice a red flag when you see one, which sucks. Cause I don't want people to have to go through negative things in life to be able to spot out what, is good Truly. and bad yeah but it's yeah. like but I mean hopefully that's why why we talk about these things you know but it I truly got into so many situations when I was you know 18 19 years old that now I would probably be like young Madigan don't do that let's think about this before we jump in the car with these people that you met out in Hollywood tonight you know what I mm -hmm. mean like let's yeah. be because I could have gotten into some really really horrible situations because I just didn't think things through Right. And none of that is to say so like having this entire conversation, um, none of that is to say that anyone who gets into a car with somebody when they're 19 or 20. Right. Like it's not it's not your fault that you experience sexual no. assault. I know absolutely that that's not at all what you meant by Thank saying you. that. <laughs> so I just wanted to say that before anyone jumped to that conclusion. Yeah, I, it, it is though saying that like for myself as well, like I engaged in a lot of very high risk behaviors in that age time frame. Um, and part of that is because 18 to 24 specifically, you are out in the world behaving in a way that has more freedom than you would have had as a child living at home with your parents. Um, but you don't have the life experience. And also, quite frankly, your your brain development is not it's the not decision there yet. making part of your brain just isn't there yet necessarily. And so I think all of these things are definitely combined with the culture. I think the culture is huge, 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 not just college culture, which is very, you know, full of a lot of like toxic masculinity and um but rape culture in general plays such mm -hmm. a strong impact on all of this and I just want to say once and for all it is the assailant's fault and no one uh -huh. else's yes. for making yeah. those decisions. It is no victim's fault for anything they did. It is the of person course. who is perpetrating the crime. I just want to make official myself stance of this podcast perfectly yes. clear <laughs> because I don't want to get a review tomorrow that's like Madigan is victim blaming and I'm going to be like, 
no 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 we speak from experience like also we know like the demographic of our show we look at our analytics and we know that 18 to 24 we have a lot of listeners in that age range we are it not at all from saying love. that you're, you're stupid or you're just per, you're gonna you know make terrible decisions we only speak this way because we experience these things like yes. i definitely I, I wouldn't have thought of myself as like a highly naive person. No. But it was just part of what you did. You're new to drinking. You're new to not having the monitoring of your parents. And you want to be able to like go out and have a good time and you trust people. Like, well, that's and there not your is, fault. There is also, I feel like this, you know, I didn't even really think about this in taking my notes, but I'm thinking a lot about peer pressure when we're talking oh, about yeah. this too. Oh, and, yeah. and about yes. just like also the pressures on women to kind of like be go with the flow and to go along with things. Uh-huh, and I cool, think that... Be easygoing. You yeah. want people to like you. You're meeting new people I was going to say, time. and you're with your new friends and they talk about this a lot too where what makes you know, young college girls so vulnerable is like you don't have that group of girlfriends yet or group of friends in general that's going to like maybe have your back a little bit or know your behavior or your movements or things like that. Like know if it's normal if you're acting a certain way or to look out for you when you've had too much to drink. You don't have that same security that you did anymore. Maybe when you Mm -hmm. were in high school and able to party and things like that. It's a little bit more dangerous and risky but at the same time you're like I'm in college and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do what everybody else is doing because I want to be a part of it and I want to have that college experience experience. which you have Mm -hmm. a right to and people end up ruining it you know what I mean like yeah definitely it's ridiculous I found it really fascinating and terrifying that they say that more than 50% of college sexual assaults occur in either August, September, October, or November. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first months of school, usually. It's called the red zone. They have a name Uh, for it. Don't you hate when they have names for things? I do. I do. Like, that feels really icky. But again, I'm not surprised at all by that. Like, you know, I feel like those also coincide with, and this is not an episode on Greek you know, fraternity sorority culture, we're going to have a whole different episode on that at another time. But those months also, I feel like coincide with like rush and pledging totally. and like all of that stuff as well, which as we know, like college campus, sexual assault and sexual violence is pervasive, just period. But within that culture specifically, and a lot of campus sexual assaults take place at like fraternity parties. They um, say in, in that environment, they say that, um, a lot of members of fraternities and a lot of student athletes tend to be in the higher demographic of perpetrators. Mm. Interesting that it would be two very toxically masculine worlds. Right. Trying to, and again, like for young men, I feel like there is this need to prove their masculinity, especially within those like those environments like fraternities and sports, which are traditionally like very, very um, toxically masculine in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm thinking of even just kind of the average guy. I think of like movies like Superbad, where it was like their goal in life to get laid. And, you know, all the pressures that I think a lot of people have that go along with college when it comes to sexual behaviors as well. And a lot of misunderstanding of what it means to get consent and give consent and all of that stuff. It's it's so unbelievably muddled when you throw in all of the other things that our culture has thrown on us and all of these different ways and these expectations that we feel as men and women and otherwise, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So 
I'm going to start going into some statistics here. Most of the statistics that I'm going to be using in this episode come from Rain uh, and a research paper by Lisa Fadina, Jennifer Lynn Holmes, and Bethany Bax. Uh, So in that research paper, they found that unwanted sexual contact and sexual coercion appear to be the most prevalent forms of sexual assault, no surprise there, uh, followed by incapacitated rape and attempted or completed forcible rape follows um, after that. So 13% of all students experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation. Among graduate and professional students, 9.7% of females, and and this is obviously a very like gender binary lens, yes. but um, 9.7% of females and 2.5% of males experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation. Among undergraduate students, 26.4% of females and 6.8% of males experience rape or sexual assault through physical force, violence, or incapacitation. of transgender, genderqueer, non-conforming college students have been sexually assaulted. Yeah, I actually did a further Mm -hmm. uh, look into that because, like you said, a lot of the research that we did is like very gender binary and very. Well, that's what's available. Yeah. Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's what what we're working with. So I did do a bit of a side goog on the statistics of transgender, genderqueer, and gender nonconforming students. And out of 1,398 students who identify as TGQN, 24.1% of undergrad students reported experiencing sexual assault, compared to 23.1% of female undergrads and 5.4% of male undergrads. Mm. So it so, is like, it's it's slightly more and about the same as female Identifying students. Yeah. 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 As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage... Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at 
hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. And, you know, it's really hard. The thing about this that made it quite difficult for me is in that research paper that I mentioned before, um, there's not a lot of like actual hard statistics. So you'll notice like even in those statistics that you just gave and the statistics that I just gave, they vary slightly. Right. And it's in large part because the definition, one, the definition of sexual assault when it's being studied varies. Yes. And also whenever what campuses different campuses consider to be sexual assault yes. also varies you also so, and you have to consider you know the pool that you're surveying and things like that but i think mm-hmm. that another big thing that we're going to be discussing and bringing up a lot through this episode i'm sure uh is reporting, you know, oh, that's a yeah. huge, it's- huge reason because you can survey these students and things like that, where maybe anonymously they feel comfortable uh, coming forward and expressing some of the things that they've been through. So many of our statistics come from reporting, and they say that only 20% of female students between the ages of 18 and 24 report to law enforcement, where they say 32% of non student females the same age do make a report. And that's really interesting to me and I think as we're talking about especially title nine and things like that Mm -hmm. we get into more about maybe why there is a bit of a difference between college females and non-students I think there's a lot of reasons yeah Uh, but it's interesting discuss that because you wouldn't think that reporting would make that big of a difference between whether or not you're reporting on a campus or not but I definitely learned more about I'm not as surprised by that, actually, because I feel like there's a lot of pressure from not only your peers, because you are, these are people you're having to see all the time. Like the the person who assaulted you, maybe you have classes with them or you know someone who knows them or Mm -hmm. you have friends who you're afraid are going to judge you. Like, I think it's a different environment necessarily than it might be out in the world. And it's a smaller world as well, too, where if like word gets out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're on a campus. So like that, that might be a thing that might be like, okay, just let it go. Like. I just would rather do if this I want to make my face. life easier for myself, mm-hmm. I'm not going to uh-huh. report it. Yeah. And yeah. then the school itself, like there have been a lot of a lot of stories of school administration mishandling cases or threatening students or there being a backlash in that way. So to me, I'm like, that's that's not surprising. And when you're talking about things going underreported, it's not just from the side of the person who was assaulted it's also from the side of the school like the school will oftentimes not report so they encourage you oftentimes to come to them don't go to the outside authorities go to campus police don't go to the police come to the office or whatever so that they can maybe then kind of keep it very quiet and talk it down so that they don't have to then report it 
Um, you know, so these numbers are, of course, not going to be entirely accurate. I would I would estimate that these numbers are much higher right. than is what I'm saying than what we're what we're quoting today. But yeah. when talking about um, kind of more marginalized communities who are experiencing sexual violence on college campuses, the majority of the research on campus sexual assault has been limited to white heterosexual female students attending a traditional four year college. So. Madigan, for instance, the school we went to wouldn't have been studied or included in like a pool like this or a community college or like any other number of like non-conventional, maybe private colleges. Which is already putting you at a very specific demographic within who you're surveying. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So few studies actually measure prevalence among racial and ethnic minority students or other students who may be particularly at risk for campus sexual assault, such as members of the LGBTQ community, sorority women, students with disabilities, and students who have suffered prior victimization. Mm -hmm. So some studies included in that review that was done by Fadina, Holmes, and Bax found higher rates of sexual assaults among those communities. And they're not the communities that are regularly surveyed. So again, that just goes to say that the numbers that we have are likely very low because the, the communities that are being most affected or the groups rather that are being most affected aren't being surveyed as often. Right. But given all of this, with the information that we do know, even though our numbers might not be completely accurate, we do know that compared to other crimes, sexual violence is more prevalent on college campuses. So when looking at the general population of women, there are five robberies for every four sexual assaults, which is still a wildly high number. Um, But when you look at college women on college campuses, there are two sexual assaults for every one robbery. And again, these are the sexual assaults that we know about that have been reported, and it's already double the number of robberies on campus. So I would say it's probably much more than robberies on campus. Yes. My gosh. One of the most terrifying things and also like well duh Madigan things that I learned in my research one of the most shocking statistics uh, found by this guy David Lisak he found that about 90% of all campus rapes are done by serial rapists with an average of six rapes each like that's like the most fucked up math problem I could have ever stated in my life and like that means that these people who are getting away with this have already Mm -hmm. gotten away with it at Mm -hmm. least six times before Mm -hmm. and they're predators like they're actual predators like who and they're just swarming our campuses and that was another thing most of the time that women are reporting sexual assault of some sort on campus most of them are also reporting having been stalked before because Uh most likely the person knows their abuser right yes exactly which is absolutely terrifying like that is so scary that you'd have to get up and go to school every day like knowing that the person who assaulted you is able to get you at any time, is in close contact with you. And even if you did report it, the chances that the college administration or authorities would do anything to actually protect you are are pretty low, which is very, very scary, which is why, you know, you see a large number of these people who have been sexually assaulted um, 
they really struggle later on. You know, they yeah. struggle with anxiety. They struggle with depression. Um, they struggle they engage, with substance abuse. They, yeah, they engage in high-risk behaviors to cope. Exactly. You know, well, with PTSD, which puts them at a higher rate of possibly being re-victimized. Yes. At a higher likelihood of being re-victimized. Like, it's, it's a horribly vicious cycle from both yeah. ends, from the side of the abuser and from the side of the victim. And I do, like, we're talking about reporting quite a bit, so I would like to get into that a little bit because I want to bring up the fact that only 12% of college student survivors report the assault to the police. And of that 12%, only 7% of incapacitated survivors report to the police. And I think that there's a really big tie-in to the consumption of alcohol and the reason why people will or will not report their Mm -hmm. assault. Oh, yeah. A story that I am very familiar with is the story of Chanel Miller, who was attacked by Brock Turner at Stanford University. Mm -hmm. If you haven't read the book, Know My Name, if you feel that you are able to handle it, she is an unbelievable... It's like one of the best books I've ever read in my life. She is an unbelievable writer. Her storytelling is like chef's kiss. It is such a great story. And I learned so much by reading it as well. And she was drunk when she was attacked. She doesn't fully remember every single second because she was incapacitated. And that led to her not reporting right away. You know, I mean, like, she did end up being found by these two bikers, and she did get help, but I think that if she hadn't been found, she mm-hmm. wouldn't have gone ahead and reported this thing. It was like right. she was she was found unconscious on the ground. But I think that for so many of us, like, you've talked about... um how you really hate the feeling of being blacked out. I don't really have that experience. My body like doesn't even let me get there. But there is such there must be such a scary feeling and waking up and not having known what was going on the night before. And then you add an assault on top of that where we already have this stigma of questioning ourselves like was it consensual? Was it not? No, it didn't really happen, did it? But then on top of that, adding in being intoxicated or incapacitated in some way. Right. And likely it's illegal for you to have been consuming in the first place because yeah. a lot of these students are underage. They're under 21. And the fear of being in trouble for that. I mean, there's already so much shame involved in sexual assault and being the victim of a sexual assault that adding on top of that, having to tell everybody that you were partying or drinking or, or whatever you like, it's well because you get re-victimized be mm-hmm. by the people that are supposed to take care of yeah. you. Mm-hmm. There what was were you doing? What were you wearing? How much did you have to drink? Exactly. And like it's all under the guise of like trying to get the story straight or whatever. But a lot of times it really is like so damaging a second time to a victim to have to go through all of that again. And there was another survey conducted in 2015 uh, done by the National Domestic Violence Hotline where 637 women were surveyed and they asked them about their experience in reporting or lack of reporting to the police. And two out of three women said that they were afraid to call the police again in the future. And one in five victims said they felt safer after calling the police, where one in three victims said that they felt less safe after contacting the police. I- I'll tell you that. Like, I I don't know that I would call the police like I don't know that that would make me feel safer I don't know that it would and certainly not on my own like I think it would legitimately take me 
talking to a friend or my mom or like someone else. It'd be like a therapist or something like able to like take me and guide me. But then there are all these pressures put on victims because if you don't have unbelievable physical evidence, you're pretty fucked. I mean, one in four reports of people are arrested and that's not even talking about actually like put to trial and prosecuted or anything like that like i was sexually assaulted in this time frame by a stranger and i didn't ever report it like i knew like because we also rationalize it too I mean, it it might have been rationalization, but I think it was also just like, well, what are they going to do? Right. You know, like why? I just want to go home and I want to take a bath. Yes. And I just want to go to bed. But you're told you can. It's your responsibility to have to go in and and get. But that's what I did, you know, and like I I realize like people are like, well, if you don't report it, then you're leaving it for blah, blah, blah. Everybody needs to handle it the way that they need to get through it. And for me, what I needed to do at like 21 was go home, lock the bathroom door, take a bath and go to bed. And like in my brain, it, it wasn't even an option. Like, no, you're asking for a much call the cops. Like rational and like it's it's a very hindsight way of thinking, because if you're actually in a position of trauma or panic, you're not thinking rationally. And so when people give you these very rational responses to what they think you should have done, there's no way they could possibly understand what you're actually feeling in that moment of panic and trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true what they say, like you just want for a lot of people I think they just want to forget about it Mm -hmm. and if you have to go in and you have to be like pro poked and prodded and questioned and asked to tell your story like over and over again and you know people are doubting you and you're feeling like you have to prove yourself right you're questioning your own memory and like people just want to move on and your abuser is also most likely like nothing is going to happen to them and I think that that is also so powerful because to me I know in moments where I think back on my own experiences where I'm like I wasn't bruised I wasn't bleeding there was probably no you know it's like who would believe me even if I said anything other than like the people that know me and trust me and love me you know what I mean like I never really felt like you know I think that a lot of people justify their abuse and thinking well it wasn't bad enough oh but he really didn't like I I said yes to kissing so that means that the rest of it was fine too there's so many justifications also too that I think in a like campus like environment and a very like hookup centric environment there's a lot of ways too that I think we can talk ourselves out of trauma by being like no this isn't as bad as you think it is like and rewrite that story for yourself your your body is going to respond to trauma differently everybody responds to trauma differently and I don't really like the narrative that you are stronger or less strong based on your response to something that happened to you right because while I am so incredibly grateful for the people who come forward and are able to kind of make change happen. I think that that's amazing. And I'm so glad that people like that exist. It doesn't make the people who didn't report it and just got through it, whatever in whatever way that they needed to get through it. It doesn't make those people less strong No, and um, I, for surviving however they needed to survive. Yeah. You know? And I think that a lot of times too, when, we think of the more well-known cases like this, it's typically not even the victim's 
choice as to whether or not it's a story that gets like picked up by the media or things like that. Like if you think about that whole aspect of it, it's based on so many other factors. So a lot of these people that have become our heroes did it very unwillingly and they did it through something that was really terrible to them, but they've wanted to help change it for other people. Um, I do right. want to talk a bit more about um, the persecution and such of rapists and people mm-hmm. who commit yeah. these crimes on campus. So in general, for every 100 rapes committed, I'm going to give you another horrible math problem. I'm sorry. For every 100 rapes committed, approximately two rapists will ever serve a day in prison. And many in law enforcement, I read, believe in these rape myths. So Mm -hmm. a few examples of rape myths would be that women ask for it, that women enjoy it, or that women also cry rape when they feel that they've been jilted. Um, I feel Mm -hmm. like especially when you are speaking with somebody who is a younger age, like a young college girl, um, I feel like it would be much easier for especially male law enforcement to maybe not take it as seriously or to maybe have some of those myths pop into their head. Yeah. And the truth of it is, you know, a lot of these, there are a lot of statistics we could go into about the types of people who join law enforcement. Right. In general. And again, that's a generalization, but there's, there are statistics that support the type of people who go into law enforcement uh, in, in general. And we saw a lot with the Brett Kavanaugh trial that there are a lot of men, older men who don't want to examine too closely what young college age men do because then they'd have to examine their own behavior yeah (laughs) their own behavior at that age especially and it's just easier for them to say well it was a party that got out of hand this was an interaction between a young boy and a girl that got out of hand and why would we ruin this young man's entire future based on a, a silly misunderstanding right. or a wild night. Well, you know? yeah. I, I think that happens a lot. Yeah, it does. Well, and the thing is, if the perpetrator doesn't have something like a criminal record, if there's no physical evidence, or if there's any reason to question the victim's character or behavior of the night, like that's a very big indicator for these people in law enforcement that come in with a lot of prejudice to not believe these victims. And that's what leads to these investigations just not even happening at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit, you know, I feel like these two things kind of tie in together when we talk about Title IX and also un- underreporting on college campuses. Yes. So the Obama administration had expanded federal protections for student survivors, issuing directives in 2011 and 2014 meant to increase young women's access to the reporting process to more robustly enforce schools' responsibility to survivors and to create supportive measures aimed at keeping survivors in school. But the Trump administration destroyed Basically, all of this. Progress. Yeah, because of what's her de- DeVos yeah, or whatever her yeah, fucking Betsy name DeVos is. I don't care. Or DeVos, whatever. Um, she worked with, I think she was like 
she was in charge of education. She was of the education. Department of Education. Yeah. And she essentially just took I'm trying to find it in my notes right now. But yeah, she essentially just took everything that Obama put into place and was just like, we're going to get rid of all of that. OK, here it is. She worked so, with men's rights groups. Of course she did. This. Of course <laughs> she did. So in September of 2017, Betsy Wasserface, the secretary of education in the Trump administration, um, revoked some of the Obama-era campus guidelines, including having a low standard of proof to establish guilt, a 60-day investigation period, and not permitting mediation between involved parties. So in... So during going back to something that Obama had put into place, there was something called the Dear Colleague Letter that came out in 2011 that was written by, um, you know, experts in the field, prior um, victims and also workers uh, within the White House because Obama did start some sort of task force. Um, Again, don't it's going to show up somewhere in my notes here. I'm kind of jumping around. But anyways, there was this Dear Colleague Letter to the presidents of all colleges and universities in the United States reiterating the requirements of Title IX. The letter stated that schools must adjudicate these cases using a preponderance of the evidence standard, which means the accused will be held responsible if it is determined that there was a 50.1% chance that the assault occurred. So it's giving victims more likelihood mm-hmm. that there will be investigations into their cases rather than not. And then... Um, when DeVos or whatever her name is came in, she essentially was like, we're going to get rid of that investigation process, that like standard 60 day investigation process. We're mm-hmm. not going to permit any sort of mediation between the parties or anything like that. Um, and she essentially kind of just tore apart at Title Nine. Um, and kind of created some new regulations such as employees, such as faculty, athletic staff, and more are no longer required to report allegations of sexual misconduct. And those going through misconduct investigations are required to have live hearings with the opportunity to cross-examine the mm-hmm. victim. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, <sighs> she worked with men's rights organizations. Yep. To uh, undo Title IX because, of course, men's rights organizations just thought it was unfair uh, that the benefit of the doubt would be given to the alleged victims right. in cases. And so when she made all of these changes, they subjected sexual abuse claims to higher standards of evidence than basically any other criminal claim yeah. on a college campus. You had to have a higher, like there was a higher burden of proof for right. so sexual that 50, abuse claims. 50.1% was kind of out the window and the facts of, you know, hard physical evidence is becoming more and more important. Right. And this is for every like state run schools or, or, or any school that accepts any federal funding at all, which is a lot of schools. And so because of that, more victims have stopped coming forward. Like immediately after Me Too, there was a bit of a rise in people actually reporting their sexual assaults. And then after Betsy DeVos like overturned all of this stuff, there was a it basically plummeted and became right. even more un- unreported well, or underreported than it was before. And one other major change in that as well that I wanted to make known was that if the assault happens outside of campus grounds, even if it involves its students, it isn't protected under Title IX either, which is super problematic. So if you're at a bar 
with more students and you're assaulted by somebody that you go to school with or in the case of Chanel Miller, she didn't go to Stanford. She was going to school in Santa Barbara, but her school, her sister went there. So she went to a party or she lived Mm -hmm. nearby and went to a party. So she could still be protected under Title IX during those years. But now she would not be protected under Title IX under the Trump's new laws, whatever. Right, right, exactly. And so for the victims who do report now, you know, which again is far less than we were seeing, we were seeing a trend like it trending upwards. Like now the victims who do report the outcomes are often very poor. So according to the survivors rights group, know your nine, almost 40% of students who report their experiences of sexual assault to campus authorities are pushed out of school forced to drop out, transfer, or take a leave of absence in wake of reporting. Which completely fucks with their future because then you can have financial aid taken away, you could have other scholarships taken away, you could maybe lose your position in the school. I mean, yeah, I'm talking just logistics. You could be showing up to work less often, making less money. There are so many logistical things that are impacted in, in your life because of a potential attack at your college and then not to mention the mental effects that could never yeah. go away that can stay with you forever right. you're setting what are you saying to up. a victim yeah what are you saying to a victim that this is your fault yeah like you are the one being punished like you are being forced and this out. is your Meanwhile, sentence the person who assaulted you gets to their life gets to go on uninterrupted right you know it's horrifying and you would think with a Democrat in office, like, aren't they supposed to be more progressive or whatever, that the Biden administration would jump at the chance to overturn this, but they have completely dragged their feet in revising or amending this new Title IX Even rule. though Biden was, like, such a face of all of this mm-hmm. with he Obama. Really was. Dur- like, really, it was really the was. two of them. This was his pet project. Yes! Like, <laughs> you know, uh, it, that's, it is, it's totally mind-blowing and deeply upsetting um in october of 2021 so just a few months ago student survivors and advocates met with the department of education to ask that the rule be revised and to issue a non-enforcement directive in the meantime so they're basically like hey we need to revise this but i know there's a lot of bureaucracy until we can get to the point where this can be completely overturned can you just enforce like uh, do a non-enforcement um directive right. so that like this these rules that are don't highly have to be enforced. To victims don't have to be enforced but biden officials completely brushed them off and in a rage inducing and condescending move when these young women because i believe they were all young women showed up they were praised for their bravery and they were told that they had quote an army of angels behind them before refusing to make the changes they were requesting so they were like you are so brave, but no. Yeah, what a <laughs> imagine. What a shitty way to try to appease a bunch of pissed off fucking people. Like, well, it's just unfortunately, I feel like it's so in- indicative of what the Democratic Party does all the time. Yeah, like, there's all those. It's memes very performative. Right, where it's just like people will be like, "Give us equal rights," and it's just like Republicans. No, 
and then it's like give us equal rights and it's like democrats and it's like an lgbtq flag and like black lives matter and like all this other stuff yep. and it still says no <laughs> it's yep. like they want to appear as though they're doing the right thing by telling you like you're so brave we're behind you 100 percent, but we're not gonna make the changes but we're that not actually gonna protect you support you yeah I do want to talk about one specific case that did make a lot of early laws and changes and kind of put campus sexual assault in the media spotlight when I think before that it wasn't something that was ever talked about. And I want to talk about Jean Cleary. Would it be, is it, if it's spelled G-J-E-A-N-N-E, is it Jean or Jeanne? Um, I've known people who have said, unfortunately, I can't tell you because I've known people who've said Jean and I actually knew a genie who spelled it like that. I'm going to say Jean. I feel like it's Jean. Okay. So in the spring of Jean's freshman year on April 5th, 1989, she was raped and murdered at Lehigh University by Joseph M. Henry, who was also a student. Jean was awoken by Henry when he was in the process of burglarizing her room. And I'm not going to go into the details of this attack, but let me just say that it was unbelievably brutal and humiliating and overkill and an absolutely awful. And a big uh, issue with the parents after this attack was the lack of security at the college was a major thing. Before the attack, 181 reports of auto-locking doors being propped open had been made. Henry was thought to have gotten access to Jean's room through one of those propped doors. And that night, she had left her dorm room unlocked because her roommate forgot her key. So that was why her door was unlocked. Henry confessed to his friends and was reported to the police and was then arrested. And what's amazing is that, again, because this was such a bloody and brutal crime, he actually was um, sentenced and convicted for his crimes. He was later sentenced to death via the electric chair, which was at one point upheld by the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, even upon appeal. But then when the death sentence was thrown out in 2002, he opted to give up his appeal rights and spend his life in prison. And in the meantime, Jean had these unbelievably amazing parents by the name of Connie and Howard who were like, we're not going to take this lying down. There has to be changes made. This is going to happen to somebody else's kid. So they began to learn more about, as they began to learn more about their daughter's death, they began to blame the security measures, like I said earlier, and began something called Security on Campus, Inc., which was later renamed the Cleary Center for Security on Campus. Her parents also worked towards something called the Cleary Act, which was first known as the Crime Awareness and Campus Security Act that was signed in 1990, which requires all colleges and universities to participate in federal financial aid programs to keep and disclose information about crime on and near the respected campuses. Each year, universities under this act must publish and distribute their annual campus security report to current and prospective students and employees. Universities are also required required to keep a crime log, timely warnings to students, and crime statistics. Institutions are required to report on crimes such as murder, rape, dating violence, robbery, and hate crimes. So while this is great, and they are at at this point, they're saying that these colleges are having to implement this program under the Cleary Act, this isn't something that was necessarily a federal law, which is why we had to wait for... um, 
essentially Title the Obama IX. era and Title IX to happen. But there, along with the Cleary Act, there's been so much unbelievable student activism. And I talked about Chanel Miller and her story is just unbelievable. But somebody that I actually learned about through her memoir was... Emma Sokolowitz, who was a student at Columbia University, who kind of made headlines for doing this performance art piece called Mattress mm-hmm. Performance. She carried the mattress everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. and it became like a really big staple because that was something that Chanel witnessed um, during her trial and things like that, that a lot of women on college campuses began to do yeah. the same thing. It's deeply upsetting that that's what it took because she started doing that because she did come forward about her sexual she assault. She did. So she, the school refused to do anything. Yeah, they said that the assailant was found not responsible by a university inquiry. So she then actually, after she filed to the school campus police or whatever, she then went above that and filed a police report with the New York Police Department, who also found insufficient grounds for reasonable suspicion. And Emma declined to further pursue any criminal charges because, of course, she would. Like, if you've been turned down by both people, what are you supposed to do? So it was actually her senior thesis and that she, you know, started this whole thing and she became known as Mattress Girl. So first it started as a video where she was dismantling her like college dorm bed accompanied by the audio of her filing her police report. It's unbelievably moving. Then she carried the 50-pound extra-long twin mattress whenever she was on university property. There were also certain guidelines, like it must remain on campus even when Emma isn't there, and that Emma was not allowed to ask for help carrying it, but she could receive help if it was offered. And what's upsetting along with all of this is that this particular story occurred at Columbia University and in April 2014 23 Columbia University students filed complaints with the federal government charging systemic mishandling of sexual assault claims and mistreatment of victims at the university so it is like a crazy problem at that school and like I'm sure that's why that school was like paid attention to and we know those numbers but I'm sure it's astronomical at any of those. It's a crazy problem at every school. Yeah. I think that that's the thing that it, it comes down to is just like we might have better numbers at one school or another or one school might have more of a reaction that gets it put in the news for some reason. But it is every single school. I mean, and that's kind of the problem. Like I in my prep for this episode and please listeners If you know of one, please reach out and let me know. But in my prep for this episode, I didn't find a single school that they were like, this school does a great job at handling campus sexual assaults. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you're trying to receive funding and things like that, you want your school to appear a certain way. And that kind of goes along with the next thing that I wanted to talk about. And that is that an analysis done by the American Association of University Women found that the vast majority of institutions that receive federal funding um, or are, you know, state run colleges They do not disclose any reported incidences of sexual assault or violence, which is a huge, huge red flag given what we know about sexual assault on campuses. And like we said, you know, 
earlier, a large part of this is because people don't report their sexual assaults because they're afraid of getting some kind of backlash from authorities or law enforcement. There's also procedural gaps that happen, quote unquote, gaps where like things don't get filed correctly. Um, There's also a reluctance on the part of the institutions to be associated with these programs. And despite numerous studies showing that rape is common on campuses, 89% of 11,000 colleges and universities who participate in federal aid programs reported zero instances of rape. Exactly. In 2016. Exactly. That's the thing that's so fucked up because there has been so many laws put into place. And that was what originally the Cleary Act was supposed to do was to have it be a very like open... You know, but they won't do it because they don't want to. Because look they don't want to look like, bad. That's, I mean, that's a big part of it. Like seventy-seven percent of these schools reported zero instances of sexual assault. I'm sorry, Bullshit. it's not possible. It's not eleven thousand schools. Eighty-nine percent says there have been no rapes in an entire year on this campus, and seventy-seven percent say that there were no instances of sexual assault, which includes not only rape but fondling, domestic violence, dating violence, and stalking. Sure, Jan. No instances. Sure, Jan. Seventy-seven percent. We just—it's not possible. It's not. Yeah. So, when like, you look at the statistics of what's going on outside of college campuses, there's no way that that's the statistics within, especially with no. all of the things that we've learned. You know, no, yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. It's impossible, and so, but and, and that's another thing that when you know, especially again, I'm gonna think of the of Chanel Miller and Brock Turner. You know, there was such this idea of protecting Stanford's image as well during all of that, and they really put her through a lot as well uh-huh, because yeah, there was the course. idea of not just protecting this star swimmer who you know was going to be an Olympian or whatever, but there was also a lot of protecting of the actual school and its reputation that really dragged her through the mud and I think that that's another thing that's really scary when you're thinking of reporting and especially hearing all these other stories where it didn't go well it's like well my life is going to be made worse by the same institution that's supposed to protect me you know yeah yeah I mean it is it is scary and I I don't want to be like just making everybody terrified it's not about being terrified it's about being it's about being being aware. aware and I think that what you said in the beginning of the episode it's like you know we do see who listens to our show and things like that we do hear from a lot of people that are within that same age demographic and I think that both of us have a tendency to want to mother and take care of people but especially those where we feel like we can prevent damage from happening that's all we ever want to do especially when we talk about things that are really scary especially things that we've experienced we talk about these Mm -hmm. terrifying things not as a way to scare you you know out of living your life but as a way of just having those warning signs within you without actually having to experience it right yeah and I also think like just being aware of how this this issue is commonly handled on college campuses can spur change. Like, I think that it gets people riled up in such a way. I mean, we didn't even get in to take back the night and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so many, there are so many groups of activists behind you as well that I think it's it's easy to forget that. This episode was largely influenced by a listener who wrote in to tell us about a string of sexual assaults that took place at a frat house in Lincoln, Nebraska. And the reaction 
of the women on campus who gathered outside of that fraternity to protest. And we are seeing more and more college age students speaking up about the prevalence of sexual violence on their campuses. Last month in Saratoga Springs, New York, an estimated 300 students walked out of their classes at Skidmore College, which is a small private school. Mm-hmm. Um, the students gathered on the campus and began speaking into bullhorns about their experiences of sexual violence and the indifference or open hostility that they were met with by college administrators yeah. when they came forward about their experiences. And according to the Albany Times Union, the demonstration was sparked by a decision that Skidmore administration made to ban a young female student from campus after she posted about her sexual experience online. And we are seeing more and more people speak up about this. I mean, there's an entire trend on TikTok right now where you use a a, a specific song and you out your rapist, (laughs) you know, like, so we are seeing people come forward a lot more. And I think that that is the importance of these conversations is realizing that while this is devastatingly common, what that also means is that if it has happened to you, you are not alone. Yeah. Um, there are resources for you. There are people who are willing to back you up, you know? Yeah. So I feel like what you just said was such a great callback to our very first episode, which was titled Expose Your Pig and the power behind yeah. exposing the not just the people who have done you wrong, but what they did to do you wrong and to... Sh- to know that there's power in sharing your story. That was the whole point of the Me Too movement. Yeah. And the people who failed to protect you. Mm-hmm. Like that as well. I mean, those Putting people them on are blast. liable as well. And they should be put on blast. Yeah. You should get a bullhorn out and you should say, yeah, this person is the person who raped me. But you, school administrator, are just as responsible for, after the fact, failing to protect me. Amen. And failing to protect everybody else on this campus you know like done deal the end nothing else has to be said (laughs) you're not alone we're here for you and again like i said at the very top if you need help you can go to rain.org spelled r-a-i-n-n.org or contact their hotline at 800 hope or 800-4673 All right, that's all we have for you today. I want to give you all another reminder that we have special limited time holiday merch that's not going to be around forever. So if you want to get your lovely Slay the Patriarchy t-shirt or sweater for yourself. Megan got hers. It looks great. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with it. And it's so soft. Like it's actually like, it's really nice. I highly recommend getting a sweater, but if you want to get a t-shirt or something else, I'm not going to begrudge you that. Um, but like I said, it is only available for a limited time. So if you want some Slay the Patriarchy merch yourself, you can go to the link in our Instagram bio to go to our Threadless page and pick out one of the holiday items or one of our other designs. We have so many unbelievable options and I've been really excited by everything I've seen so far. I also want to say that if you've received any of the merch that you've bought we want to see it so please take photos and send them into us um that leads me right into whether or not you have any uh episode topics for us in the future you can email and send anything to us in our email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on instagram at angry neighborhood feminist we also have a facebook business and group page you can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page last but certainly not least if you haven't done so already please hop on over to that apple podcast app and leave us a five-star review and a 
quick sentence about why you love us. I don't want to see any reviews about Madigan being a victim blamer, please. Oh, God, no. Um, But truly, that is the greatest way that you can show your love and support us. And it truly does mean the world to us when we read your very sweet messages. All right. That's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.